Another tip I would give would be to lead with who you are and your position. And there was there was a time where I just, you know, I'd enter the conversation and then I could tell they didn't know who I was or what, you know, what my position was. Hey guys, I'm Tara Wilson and this is the Fierce Lab podcast, a series where women explore what it means to be confident, capable, and strong. That's Fierce and we're here for it. Hi, guys. Welcome back to the Fierce Lab podcast. I'm really excited to bring Emily Jansen, who is the general manager of the Reno Aces Baseball Club, on to talk to us today. And we're really going to focus in on what it's like to be a woman in sport. Emily is the first female general manager of a minor league baseball team in over 20 years. And I can't wait to hear her perspective on what it's like to be in a male-dominated industry, as well as share the things that she's learned for those of you that are looking to break into the world of sport. Emily, welcome to the podcast. Oh, happy to be here, Tara. Thanks for inviting me. Absolutely. Okay, so for our listeners who may be unfamiliar with the Reno Oasis, could you tell them a little bit more about your organization and what you as a general manager of a baseball team does? Sure. So the Reno Aces are a minor league baseball team. We are a AAA uh, affiliate of the Arizona Diamondbacks, which means we are the highest level of minor league affiliation. Our players are on the doorstep uh, to their big debut in the big leagues. So it's a pretty exciting atmosphere uh, to witness uh, these players on the precipice of making their their dream come true. And in my role as general manager, I lead day-to-day business operations for baseball, including the event experience, community engagement, marketing and media. And I contribute to the sponsorship team, along with uh, being a liaison between the Arizona Diamondbacks, the Reno Aces, and minor league baseball. So it's like owning your own business in a way. You're very entrepreneurial and that you have your hands in a lot of different areas and departments, would you say? Yeah, um, I get to wear a lot of hats, which is fun for me. You know, when you're starting your career early on, you sort of have this one role and you do this one thing really, really well. There are days that I miss that, but I wouldn't trade it for the world because every day is something new and a new way to contribute and grow the business and our fandom in Northern Nevada. Mm-hmm. Now, we are in the middle of a pandemic, and it has totally changed the way people interact with live events, including sports. So how has COVID impacted you and your team? Um, It's had a tremendous impact. This year, the minor league baseball season was canceled. We didn't have an opportunity to host a single baseball game this year. It was something that you could have never imagined would take place in your wildest dreams. And there's no playbook. So early on, I would say that we were reactive. I think like a lot of people, we were just waiting for this to be over. We thought three weeks would be unimaginable. And here we are all these months later. So early on, it was reaction. It was the news. It was what next. It was trimming down the season, you know, what would happen, what would we do? And then the reality started to 
to show its face that, you know, we weren't going to have a season at all. So then what? You know, our job didn't stop. We still had people who invested in our team through season tickets and sponsorship. We still had a community support to support what did that look like in this situation. So um, we, we started to get proactive. We created an interim rally cry. Our day-to-day rally cry is we are the place to be. Okay. We feel like we're the front door for um, making memories and having incredible experiences at our ballpark at Greater Nevada Field. And in 2020, we, by definition, were not the place to be. People could <laughs> not go to sporting events. They could not gather in groups. So what did that mean for us? And for us, that meant we have to be the place to be for tomorrow. Whatever day tomorrow was that we could open our facilities, what could we do now to prepare to be bigger, better, stronger for when we had an opportunity to open open our gates again? And we worked on, uh, we started working on the business. You know, in sports and working in a front office, you just keep going. It's 100 miles an hour, even the off season, because you only have six months before you start all over opening. again. <laughs> yeah, before you host 70 events again. So we really got to dig into the data. We got to complete some really meaningful projects. And, um, you know, you got to find the silver lining in these types of scenarios. And I really think we did having an opportunity to, to work on the business. Yeah, that's great. I know when we were preparing, for this interview and getting to know one another, we were talking executive to executive. And I shared with you that one of my goals for 2020 that I set in January was to become a better leader. (laughs) And I will tell you, 2020 has pushed me in so many directions and stretched me and challenged me. And because of that, I've grown as a leader. And as you were talking, the word pivot came to mind and the and the expression trial by fire. And while you didn't use those two terms, I could see that playing out in how you were expressing um, how you had to lead your organization. So it's been um, it's been a great year for me to grow as a leader. Would you f- say that you've grown as a leader in 2020 because of COVID? 100%. I've read a lot of books. I've really... I, you know, besides the trial by fire in my own business, I've tried to also take the time to educate myself. I've taken two courses online. I think I've read five books so far during this pandemic. Just it can't all be about me and my personal experiences. I really believe in learning and learning from others. And one of the things that's been the most difficult in this pandemic is access to people and experiences and events. It's all become within your own house and very virtual. So how do you expand your mind and your horizons under those circumstances when I'm not getting that real life, meaning you know, event type experience, being around a lot of people, seeing how they behave, you know, really participating. And so I've had to take that sort of internal. And that's where I've really leaned into reading and podcasts, of course, and taken two e-courses because I want, as I lead, I want it to be through education as well. Like this didn't just come from inside of me. This came from 
a very well-researched source. Others that uh, you've learned from. Exactly. Well, and you talk about that one of the things that's been hard in 2020 is access to people. And we're going to talk a bit in, in a minute about professional networks and access to people. But before we go there, I want to take it a step back because I want people to know a bit about your background and your history and how you've gotten to this position as general manager. So you started your career with the Chicago Bulls. Tell me a bit about that opportunity where you started there. Yeah, sure. So I'd been an athlete like a lot of people most of my life. I grew up with two brothers. We played sports at our house and then we participated in in sports and leagues. And I thought, wow, it would be incredible if I could live my life working in sports. But I didn't know how to do that. So I started college as a physical therapy major. I was a major in biology with the intention to become a physical therapist and hopefully work for a team. It wasn't too far into Chem 101 that I realized, (laughs) man, my brain is real creative. I love business. Science is not the right path for me. And that's when I discovered advertising. And finishing up my my college degree and all these great internships I had the opportunity to do, I was left with a choice. Work at an advertising agency in Chicago. I had a job offer with a salary and benefits or take an internship in ticket sales with the Chicago Bulls. It's going to last nine months. Yeah, that's the (laughs) hardest place to start in sports. I feel like ticket sales, that's that's going all in. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it is. It is. And I'll tell you and your listeners as I didn't I didn't love it. It wasn't it wasn't my favorite job, um but it was I cannot underestimate the importance of that position. The Bulls do an incredible job in sales training. We spent 3 weeks in training before we ever picked up a phone, and I'll tell you that is not the norm um for most most organizations. And I learned that ticket sales is the foundation of a sports team. You've got to be able to put people in the building in order to do all the other great things, including sell sponsorships and run promotions and serve your community. So it is something I will never regret doing. I had I had some success in ticket sales and um, I still use a lot of what I learned um, in my role today. I love that. Okay, so I want to pause there and I want to go back to what you said. You didn't love it, but you see the importance of what you got from that position. And I think that's really important for some of our younger listeners who maybe are in a career right now where they're just disillusioned or unhappy. And you've talked at the top of this podcast about finding the silver lining. I'm right there with you. I haven't always loved my past career path, but I can look back and I can see what I learned from it, in particular in the area of sales and the sales training that I received when I was in the financial industry and how that I've been able to leverage that skill set into running a business. So I think that's really crucial for women to hear as they're thinking about where they're going to go with their next step, that even a job that they have that they don't love, they can take away some of the things that they've learned and apply them to the next career step. Because what you're going to share with us next is that you left the Chicago Bulls. And when you were leaving, someone told you that if you left now, you'd never get back into sport. 
how did you leave the industry taking the knowledge that you have? And then how did you come back to the industry? Talk a little bit about that. Yeah, I did. Um, and I'm I'm competitive and I'm stubborn. And so tell me I can't do something and I'll show you that I can. Um, so little did they know in that moment that um, that would be the fuel and the fire for me to always keep a door open. Always keep a door open. And I did. I decided to leave. I When I was working for the Bulls, as I stated, I didn't love ticket sales, but I understood that if I wanted to work in sports at any point in my future, that skill set was so necessary. You have to understand ticket sales. You have to understand sales. You have to understand its value in order to, I believe, do any other job inside the building. So I did leave. I went and I worked for um, a big nonprofit in Chicago. And I was 22 years old. And I had an opportunity to... I got the job because I knew how to do sales from the Bulls, first of all. Um, but I got the, the chance to um, put together major events. I put together partnerships. I sold sponsorships. I created um, new community initiatives. And for me, at that young age, that exposure to the width and the breadth of the different skill sets that you need in your toolbox to be good at your job in the future was something that I wouldn't have gotten had had I had the opportunity to stay with the Bulls. I would have been, you know, pretty linear in that larger organization. And so, for me, it was a great opportunity. Um, and so, fast forward a number of years later, I. Um, found myself in Reno, Nevada, and um, found out, you know, upon moving here, we we have an awesome AAA team with a beautiful facility, and um, worked my network and got an introduction. And the job that I was offered was an account executive role in corporate partnerships. In that time in my life, I had about eight years' experience in sales and partnerships, and I was offered a pretty junior position where I took a step back in comp title. And uh, I you know, negotiated the best I could, but um, ultimately decided that I would take this role. I would do a phenomenal job and I would earn the position inside the company that I knew I deserved. And two years later, I was vice president of corporate partnerships. And I tell that story because sometimes you have to take a step back in order to take a step forward. And I can't tell you how many times I've interviewed people for a job um, who wanted a better title, who wanted more of a salary, and that just wasn't being offered at the time. And that didn't mean that they couldn't earn that in three months, six months, one year. You know, get in, prove yourself, and open the door for yourself. Yeah. I think that's really great advice, not just for women, but men too, that it's okay to take a step back because you know once you're there, you can start to prove yourself and you can raise your hand and ask for more responsibilities and you can start to network with the people within the organization so that you can find out about other opportunities that are available. I think that's great advice. So you took this role within two years, you rose through the ranks and you were running that department. And then you left. You left the Reno Aces, correct? I did. Yeah. Um, my husband got a great opportunity in Houston, Texas. And 
we decided, even though my trajectory within the company I was in was was going really well, it was his turn. So I supported him in that move. And before I left the ACES, I gave them a three-month notice that I would be leaving. And in those three months, I got the sponsorship team I was managing. We met our, our goal. Um, so we brought in the revenue that was required before the season started. So, so we, we met that financial goal. Before I left the office on my last day at work before moving to Houston, I turned in another sponsorship contract, signed, signed deal for three, a three-year partnership. And it's how you leave a job. I cannot underestimate how important that is to contribute up until the last moment because that is your legacy. You, know, you may have done some great things over the course of your time there, but they'll remember how you left. That's right. People have a short-term memory and they, they remember the last thing. What have you done for me lately? And what I hear you saying is, I didn't burn a bridge. I built a bridge. Yes, it's it's so true. And then I kept in touch. So I moved to Texas and I got some really incredible opportunities in Houston. It, Houston wasn't our be all end all. Our you know for our family, we kept the door open because we were still we were still young at that moment and and ready to take on new challenges. And so I kept in touch, and I didn't keep in touch for a self serving purpose. I kept in touch because I cared about the Aces. I cared about how they were performing and I was still working in sports and events. And so I would call the president and say, Hey, you know, let's set up a call. I want to tell you about what I've been doing. I have some ideas. So I love this. I want to pause there, Emily. I'm sorry to interrupt you, but I, I love this because I really want to get tactical because oftentimes people don't know how to appropriately stay in touch. Like it's not just let me drop you a line and say, Hey, hope you're doing well. How are the kids? You were very strategic in the information that you were delivering back to the ownership of the team, what you were sharing about your career, but it also sounds like you were giving them something in return that could be beneficial to them. So go for it. I want to hear about this. Yeah, I was. Um, so I would set up essentially quarterly calls with the president. And sure, we did. We did the catch up, but it was also about what I was working on, who I was working with. Um, hey, I applied this thing that I learned from the ACEs, but then I also learned, you know, this new technique. Have you guys thought about this? Or he would source me for ideas as well. Hey, I'm encountering this. Do you have any ideas? And it would be, it was an hour well spent on the phone. It wasn't as much as I, you know, would love to hear about his, his dog um, or cat you know, or he'd want to hear about how my kids were doing. Like we made it about the business and how we could help each other and just kept that, those curious conversations going. Um, so, you know, fast forward two years later, the GM role opens and he knew who he wanted to fill that role. He just needed to know how to get me to move back to Reno. So for young women that are building their career and in between stages or not in between stages, but maybe just looking to foster strong relationships. What would you say is your number one tip for staying connected either to your general network 
or even your past employers? Staying connected. Um, You know, I think that you have to think about how you can serve others. So what, what is, what is it that you have that can add value for this person? Um, so whether you know something about them that they're interested in, so you could share a news article or a best practice, or you meet somebody who may be connected to that person, and then you close that loop. Um, that's a, that's a great way to stay in touch. Um, you, you just have to be thoughtful, I think is probably my number one tip. I really dislike the term pick your brain. Um, I just, I just <laughs> hate the way <laughs> I don't like the way it sounds, um, first of all. But second, like if I ask someone to pick their brain, that's me asking them for something, asking them for information or knowledge that they have worked really hard to acquire. So how can I add value for that person? Um, I see it a lot when um, when younger people reach out to me. They ask me to pick my brain quite regularly, which I'm flattered by. But even though you're young, you might even still be in college, you have a lot to share with me. Absolutely. I want to know what is valued by your generation. I want to know what would make you happy as an employee. I want to know what you're looking for to grow. So don't think that you don't have something of value to add in these conversations. You have your own unique information to share with that person that can help them be a better leader. I'd love to piggyback on that and give a real world example. So recently I was speaking with a young lady, mid-20s, And we were talking about her next career step. And I suggested that she take a listen to the Fierce Lab podcast. And so she did. And within a few hours, got back to me and she's like, hey, your podcast is great. Thanks. Like you, I was flattered. She said, but I have some ideas for you. And I thought, great, bring them on. And we ended up getting together for coffee. And she gave me a list of like 10 different podcast ideas that she thought that someone like herself, she noticed that the majority of the women I've interviewed thus far on the podcast are type A, and she considers herself more of an introvert. But she said, I'd love to hear some tips for introverts on how we can build networks, how we can share with people who we are and cultivate uh, professional relationships. And I thought that was so insightful. And that hour and a half that I ended up spending with her for coffee was so valuable to me. So I appreciate that you share that thought about don't just ask to pick someone's brain, but to think about what can you, what value can you bring to them? That's a great tip. Yeah, it's a two-way street. I love that story. Good for her. What a great woman. Yes, she's a bright young lady. Um, Do you have any tips for the way that like someone who may not be type A like you and I, competitive like you and I, might think about how they do cultivate their professional networks and continue to build relationships when that doesn't come to them naturally? Yeah, well, it might surprise you, Tara, to know that I couldn't even call to order pizza when I was in high school (laughs) because I was too afraid to pick up the phone. Really? Yeah, so this did not come naturally to me. It's something that I've had to work on really, really hard for a very long time. 
And there's a saying, uh, get comfortable being uncomfortable. And when I first heard that saying, I thought, oh, how miserable. You know, I'm going to live my life in this discomfort. But when I really decided to embrace it, I thought, okay, inside discomfort comes growth. And I was pretty introverted. I was really shy, but I did have that piece of me that wanted more. And so I had to push myself because no one is going to do it for you. You've got to push yourself to want more. Or if you want more, you have to push yourself to to get into those uncomfortable moments. Um, And so one of the tips I'll share around this, I strongly dislike networking events. I talk about it when I give speeches all the time. You know, that warm, warm beer and crappy wine is just (laughs) in a room full of people pasted against the walls is like the most uncomfortable situation in the world. And the way that I navigate that that situation is I set a goal for myself. So I say, Emily, you've chosen to go to this event. You've chosen to spend your time because you found that there would be some value for you. So you have to go out and get it. And so I set myself a three business card rule. As soon as I have three meaningful conversations and exchange business cards, I get to leave. That is my hall pass to get out the door. It could take me 10 minutes. It could take me an hour, um, depending on the event. But if I don't have three conversations, I don't get to go home. And so I stay really disciplined around that. And um, I, I just believe if you choose to spend your time somewhere, don't show up and just talk to your coworker. You know, make it making make it meaningful for you, whatever your goal is for for that appearance. And you know, you may not have started out at I have to get three business cards. Maybe you started out at one, or maybe you did you maybe you started at three. But for young women that that might even intimidate, start with one and and then work your way up. And pretty soon it becomes easier. It will it may never be just instinctive, but it does become easier. I call it the post-it note challenge because um, when I launched my agency, I had no business, no clients, no income coming in and talk about four to six months of just sheer panic. And so about 30 days in, I was like, I got to do something about this. And so I decided to write on a post-it note three things that I had to do every day before I could leave the office. And if I did those three things, then I felt like I'd accomplished something and it was okay to turn the day off and go home. But one of those things always was sales-related. And it was usually around meet a new person or meet so many new people. And I will tell you that has benefited me greatly. Some of my best contacts have come from forcing myself out of my comfort zone and setting a goal that was attainable, but still a goal. And so I love that you look at it from a business card perspective at a networking event. I think that's a great tip. What about LinkedIn? Do you use that at all in the way you stay in contact with people and network? I do. I definitely do. Um, I can always do a better job. Uh, LinkedIn can sometimes... I have to schedule time actually in my schedule to spend the time on LinkedIn because I believe it's a really valuable resource. 
Um, in fact, I need to put a new time block on my calendar because I have some things that I need to update. But one of one of the even if you're not a job seeker, if you are working on new business in any capacity, people will be checking you out. So. Um, what does your profile say about you? And then what content are you producing? So, and I don't mean, you know, take a picture of yourself and say that, you know, you won an award or you're at this place. I mean, you know, you won this award because you did X, Y, Z, and here's what somebody can learn from what you did to, to create that achievement. So it's that same tip on LinkedIn. Like, how can you be of service to the community through what you have done. Um, so don't be shy in posting. You've got to be your own biggest cheerleader. And also I've used it for sponsorship sales. So even though I'm, you know, the the GM at this team, I'm still responsible for driving revenue for the company. That's part of being a leader. And I reach out to people on LinkedIn who I want to talk to. And I think it's it's accepted first of all, um, and second, you know, it's you're landing in a new place where you have an opportunity to like feel each other out a little bit more than inside of an inbox. So I think it's a tremendous tool. Mm-hmm. And I'm guessing you don't just cold link with someone. I'm guessing you probably start to follow them and see what kinds of things that they're posting about information that they're seeking and commenting on to build that common ground and kind of put yourself within their feed before you just go and say, hey, I'm the GM of the Reno Aces, and I'd like to talk to you about sponsorship or something. You you probably cultivate a relationship first. Yeah, or in my message, because a lot of the companies that we're dealing with, with sponsorship, who we get to partner with, are they have businesses in our town. So oftentimes, I'll visit their business and then write to them about my experience. Mm, that's smart. I and like that. then I'm, you know, I I I'm a little bit more invested. You know, I visited their company, I have I have some feedback or I have a compliment to share. You know, I'll tell you I'm I'm more responsive to people when they say, "Hey, I went to a game last year and X, Y, or Z happened. I know this person has, uh, or I followed you on LinkedIn and I saw you wrote this article, or I looked at your Instagram feed and I was really inspired by this quote. I'm instantly impressed that they put some effort into who I am and and what I do. And then I'll make time for those people. And I think it's the same in, in the reverse. I love that. Great tip. So many good nuggets, as I call them. So I mentioned at the top of the podcast that I want to talk with you about being a woman in a male-dominated industry, especially in minor league baseball. So what's that like to be the first female GM in over 20 years in minor league baseball? Yeah, um, it's, it's an honor and it's a privilege. And when I took the role, I, I knew that was the, you know, the statistic around the position I was accepting. But I didn't really know what that meant until I attended baseball winter meetings about seven months later in Las Vegas, Nevada. I got the chance to speak on stage to over 300 women who worked in baseball, tell my story and give them some some tips on how to level up. And at the end of the event, I was shocked by the number of women who 
approached me and said things along the lines of, wow, you're such an inspiration. I didn't even know that I could have that job until I saw you. And I was floored. I couldn't even believe, you know, what, what these women were saying to me. And it popped into my head, the quote by Marion Wright Edelman, you can't be what you can't see. And in that moment, I realized that it was of the utmost importance for me to excel in my position so that I wasn't just a statistic. I was successful in, in what I was doing so that I could create visibility in the industry that a woman can do this job too. I love it. And I've really, I've really leaned into that. Um, I, I want to share my story beyond, beyond my front office. And I want to share the story of other successful women because you can't be what you can't see has just really, you know, soaked itself into me every single day. And so now I, in turn, try to elevate the stories of successful female leaders in sport on my podcast, Leadership is Female. Uh, well, we're going to talk about your podcast in a minute because I'm super excited to ask some questions around that. But I do want to kind of go back to, you know, you can't be what you can't see. But at the same time, it sounds like it never crossed your mind that you couldn't be the GM, right? I mean, were you blind to the fact that you were going to be like the only woman in a really long time? And you're just like, well, of course I can be a GM. Or did you know it? And were you having to overcome it at multiple turns? My life, Tara, has been surrounded by men. I have two brothers. I have now two sons, two male dogs. I've worked in sports <laughs> a long time. So I've got a lot of male colleagues. And I certainly knew that there would be some challenges. And I had to ask for a lot of advice along the way on how to how to overcome those things so that I could be, you know, given the respect that I earned and the chance to share, share the voice at the table in the seat that I earned. And I'll share a couple of those tips. Um, the first is, is confidence. Confidence is key. Uh, you've you've got to come in with, you know, I've, I've literally done the Superman pose in a bathroom before I went into a meeting before. <laughs> no joke. Because sometimes it takes that little extra oomph to, you know, pump you up. I've listened to an empowering song before I had to go on stage. You know, I've done those things because it doesn't, it's not always there. Like sometimes you have to dig deep. Another tip I would give would be to lead with who you are and your position. And there was there was a time where I just, you know, I'd enter the conversation and then I could tell they didn't know who I was or what, you know, what my position was. And I realized that I needed to lead with who I was and what my position was. And, you know, sometimes you might think that's not fair, but it is what it is. And I'd rather be proactive than have those little dings you know, chip away at me on the inside. So a tip that I got was lead with my business card. So I'll walk into a situation with a room full of men with my business card in my hand and give it to the person I need to give it to and say, I'm Emily Jansen, the general manager. 
before they have the chance to take a guess at what my role is. And assume that it's something less than the general manager. And then you get in a situation where you're off footing. (laughs) They could be patronizing. I've been there. And I think that is a really excellent tip. That's great. Are your mentors men? Um, A few of them. Yeah. Do you have women mentors? I do. I do. I have female and male mentors. And I think just like it's great to have um, diversity in the boardroom, it's great to have diversity in the voices that you hear from. And if it, if a one-on-one mentorship feels unavailable to you, there are mentors that you can have just through admiration. And there is so much out there that you can consume for free to help you to level up like the Fierce Lab podcast. You know, Tara interviews all these incredible women who are going to give you the, the tips that you need. And they may not be people that you get to have coffee with, but you can count those people as your mentors. That's right. You can because you, you constantly observe them. You read about them. You seek out information on how they're doing things. And occasionally, if you're really lucky, you can slide into their DMs and they might respond to you. I've done that plenty. And, you know, as long as you don't overstep the bounds and become a nuisance, those individuals are often flattered that you admire them. And occasionally, with the right question, will respond and give you a little bit of information. So I love that. So come in with confidence, lead with your position within the organization. Is there another? Yeah, the last one is do do your research. Oftentimes the person who did the research and has the plan is the one who gets their their idea um, in the winning position. So know who's in the room, know who they are, and then know your own agenda, um, but also be curious to listen to theirs. So um, make sure you turn the, you're turn you turning on your listening ears and uh, you're doing the research ahead of time. Have a plan. So let's talk a little bit about your podcast as well. I think this is a great opportunity to segue into that. So Leadership is Female is your podcast and it's all about women in sport. Is that correct? It is. Yeah. It's about highlighting the uh, accomplishments, the hurdles, the tipping points of female leaders in sport or sport adjacent, I say, because there's tons of opportunities to work in sport in a front office, but also in an industry that serves the front office. Mm-hmm. And do you like storytelling by nature? You you mentioned at the top of the podcast that you got into advertising So that tells me that by nature, you're a lover of storytelling. Is that true? Yes. Love storytelling. And I'm very curious. And I'm lucky enough to have access um, to some really great conversations with some really incredible women. And this podcast is an opportunity for me to share those conversations so that together we can lead her forward. So what have you learned in um, launching this podcast? Not about podcasting, but what have you learned about women in the area of sport? Yeah, um, so a, a couple things. Number one is confidence. 
a common theme among the most successful women in sport is they had the confidence to first perform well and then second to ask for what they felt they earned. So that that's been a very a very common theme. Um, the next one, uh, we talk a lot about how to earn a promotion. Um, that's something that I'm really passionate about. And many of the women on the podcast have shared their tips on how they did it in order to earn the roles that they are in. And, um, and then we also talk a lot about that work-life balance, which I don't believe it's a balance. I believe it's, it's a existence. There's this type of, of blend. And, um, you know, I've, I've spoken to women who are, moms of, you know, four kids to people who are triathletes or um, foster dogs. I mean, it's, it's not just about being a mom. It's, it's about having a well-rounded life where you enjoy your career, but you also, you know, something else fills your cup at home or outside of the office. Mm -hmm. So talking about how to get that promotion, do you mind, do you have a couple of tips that you could share there for our listeners? Or you can tell us which episodes from your podcast. Let's do both. Give a couple of tips. And then if you've got a particular episode that we should recommend to our listeners on that particular subject, I'd love to share that. Yeah. So um, first, I interviewed a career confidence coach. Her name's Britt Lively. And on her episode, she discusses how to earn a promotion um, with some pretty great detail. So I would suggest listening to that one. Um, for sure. And then uh, my advice, the first step in earning a promotion is doing a great job in your current role and measuring your results and asking your boss what is the most important thing to the company and making sure that those are your priorities. I see so often people, men or women, really get tied up with their head down working on the thing that they feel is most important for whatever reason, a passion project or just something they feel like they need to complete when it might not be the most important thing to the company. So make sure that that what you're working on is number one um, for your boss so that when you report those results, it's on something that is very important to that individual. The second is being prepared. So you got to know your stuff and you got to know why you deserve that promotion and put in the work to make a really professional presentation on why. I've seen, I can't tell you how many people come into my office and ask for a promotion as a reaction to the fact that somebody else got one. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Say it loud. <laughs> Say it proud. Tell it again. <laughs> Be <Yes>. prepared. <laughs> yes. And I looked at that person and I said, I commend you for having the courage to come in here and ask me. Um, but what I need from you is to prepare something in writing that tells me why. And I don't give them all the keys to, you know, how it, how it's going to happen because that's another that's another thing for that individual to figure out is how are they going to articulate to me that they deserve to level up. 
And I've seen all, all sorts of things. Um, but I think one of the best things that, that you can do is one, present the results that, that you've driven as a, as a result of your employment. And two, go back to your job description. What was the job description I gave you when I hired you? And how does that differ from today? Or what are the results that you produced against that job description? And that right there is data. And that's what companies live or die by is the data and the numbers. Um, And you don't have to be in sales to produce results. That's right. Oh, that's such a great tip, Emily. Thank you. Uh, Both of those tips, but the second one in particular. So just as a reminder to our listeners, Emily's podcast is called Leadership is Female. And she talks all about women in the world of sport and adjacent to sport and um, gives great career advice, interviews some exceptional women. I've enjoyed it. So if you get a chance, listen to it. So Emily, I know that you and I share a common interest. I may have go so far as to say a common love. You are on the board of your local Girl Scout Council. And as I shared with you as we were preparing for this interview, I was a Girl Scout as a young girl. I also served on my local council for a bit. Tell me why the organization is important to you and resonates with you. Yeah, um, I am really passionate about empowering young women and um, Girl Scouts. And also, I've recently got involved with Girls on the Run um, locally here in the in the Sierra Nevadas. And I, I love that opportunity to... First of all, learn from the girls. I want to know what's going on in their lives. What are their challenges um, so that I can be better in the future? So that's one thing that's important to me. But also, you know, sharing, sharing my story, sharing my tips, being of support for these young women so that they can realize their dreams, whatever those might be. So let's talk about what you did because it excites me. So you got the local troop or troops together for a sales clinic at your baseball club. Tell us more about that. Yeah, I did. Um, So as everybody on this planet knows, the Girl Scouts are known for those delicious cookies. And there's a little bit of... um, you know, emotion around that. Like some of the, some of the Girl Scouts, they don't want to be known for the cookies. They want to be known for all of the great things that they do. And I think it's great that you're known for something. So let's let's embrace that. And um, I'm a fan of the cookie program. It's it's what really put Girl Scouts on the map and supports all of the great work that they do is is those profits. And so I thought you know, what I could contribute is uh, help them to earn even more money through the cookie sales. So I put together a program um, at the ballpark for the local Girl Scout chapter. Um, Anyone could sign up to to be involved. And I pulled together our head of ticket sales to teach the girls about basic sales techniques. I pulled together our, um, our marketing director who taught the girls about how they could leverage social media to sell more cookies. And I pulled in our media director to talk to the girls about how to land an interview and then how to ace the interview. That's so And fun. <laughs> the day wrapped up with, um, with pizza and a chance for them to all run around on the field and it was it was an excellent program. It was so fun to be a part of. Oh, I love that. Well, I want to go on the record that if you do this again, 
I will bring myself out and participate in that. I just think that that is phenomenal. Um, I'm a big proponent of girls selling their own cookies, not their parents selling it for them. And so Mm -hmm. my rule of thumb is that if you call me as a Girl Scout or you solicit me in some form or fashion, I guarantee you I will buy cookies from you. Now, if your parents do, I'm probably not going to buy them. Um, But if you as the young girl um, ask me to buy, I will. And that stems from the fact that I learned how to cold call as a child selling Girl Scout cookies. And as I shared with you, there was a man in my town who was known for buying two cases of cookies, but he had a Girl Scout that he bought them from every year. But my mother still made me call him every year, even though I knew he was going to tell me no, but she would still make me call. And the year that I called when his Girl Scout had no decided to no longer sell cookies, he bought for me. And it was the greatest, one of the greatest lessons in life on persistence. So I think it's amazing what you're doing with your local troop and your local council and what great skills you shared with them and imparted to them by having them there at your at your facility. Kudos to you. Thank you. <laughs> well, Emily, I'm going to wrap this conversation up, although um, I've enjoyed speaking with you and could continue on. Um, but I know that you've got a busy schedule. And so I appreciate that you've given me your time. But before I let you go, I close every podcast with the same question for each guest. And that is, what does the word fierce mean to you? The word fierce means to me lighting that internal burner inside of you and putting it on the next level. We all have a special something to give to this world and having the courage to be you and share yourself and serve this world is so fierce. That's fantastic. Thank you so much, Emily, for being with us today and sharing all your insights. It's been a delight to talk to you. My pleasure, Tara. Thank you. Thanks for listening today. If you liked this episode, do me a favor and subscribe, leave a review, or tell a friend. With your help, we'll grow the Fierce Lab community. And I would love to stay in touch. You can find me on Instagram at Tara M. Wilson.